Welcome to a bonus episode of Hip Hop Movie Club. As always, here are your HHNCs. Boogie, JB, and Dino Wright. Today we review a Netflix documentary, Untold, The Rise and Fall of Anne One. All right, so uh, with this documentary about Anne One, I figured it might be helpful to just go through a bunch of questions and that will kind of chronicle the documentary itself. So first off, what is Anne One? Um, if you haven't seen this documentary, you may not know. I'll kick off, you guys could chime in too. I mean, Anne One was a startup apparel company that then went into basketball sneakers. Started in the early to mid 90s by a couple guys. And it grew like wildfire. There were a couple guys that kicked it off and it was Seth Berger, Jay Cohn Gilbert and Tom Austin uh, these are U University of Penn graduates, UPenn Wharton School of Business. And they took this company to massive heights internationally and, and, and took on the likes of Nike. Boogie or Dan Wright, anything else to add, kind of the origins? I mean, the, the N1 moniker basically, it, it's, it came from trash talking, street balling and, and trash talking. And one phrase indicating if you go to score the basketball and someone fouls you and the ball goes in, you you know, you, you're screaming out, and one, you get somebody's attention. It's like, you know what, you fouled me, but my shot still went in. And it, and it, and it plays off of the fact that in a typical basketball game, college or, or even pro, you shoot the ball, if you get fouled, you get a chance to go to the, the foul shot line to shoot one more point. Of course, in, in some pickup games and street ball, you know, there's no foul shooting in, involved, but you just basically trash talk the person and say, you know what, and one, they came out with their first line um, shirts was basically just trash talking phrases of all sorts. I remember when they first came out and one of my friends got me one of the shirts. And I think she might've got me that shirt. might've been like 93 or 94. So it was like right around in the beginning too. So. I had it when I was you know, college student. I used to wear it around. I didn't wear it when I played basketball because it was too nice and I like I didn't want to get it messed up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's right. It's too nice to wear on the court. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and one is kind of like almost like add insult to injuries. Like I scored and you, you found these. And then you're right. They started with t-shirts and they had these trash talking phrases on it. And I remember from the documentary, a couple that were, they were funny. Yeah, they, they were really like your, funny. Yeah, the one that was, I think, one of the most popular was like, "Your girl is as ugly as your game." <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere as basic as "That's right, you stink." Uh, but then my better favorite pray was just... my favorite was calling the bus driver come and take you to school. Take you to yes. school. I think that was on mine. <laughs> I think that was the one that was on mine. Yeah. So <laughs> that was these guys' initial foray into business, and they were just selling T-shirts out of the back of their cars and stuff. And then it, it catches on. Remember, this was at the infancy of the internet, so it's not like they could promote it too well online. There was no social media, but word of mouth. And then they got a big order from Foot Locker, and they they ordered like something like twelve thousand shirts or something like that. And they go, oh, okay, all right. And then on, and then they show in the documentary that you see uh, Matthew Perry 
from uh, Friends wearing an M1 shirt, and you see Will Smith wearing one in Fresh mm-hmm. Prince, and that's just helps it to blow up. Yeah, I remember the first time I walked in, into a Foot Locker when they first started carrying them. I was like, oh my god, they carrying these shirts here? And they had like a little, you know, bunch of you know, a few different phrases, and I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. Yeah. So they start making these shirts. They start doing a pretty robust business here. But then they wanted to take it to the next level. And they're like, you know, if we really want to compete with the big boys like Nike, eventually, we have to go and, and design sneakers. And they didn't have much experience with that. But uh, Tom starts designing them. They hire some some more people. And they wanted the face of their franchise. There's no way they can get anybody quite as big as Michael Jordan. But they did want an A-list type guy. And they wanted to be the new, younger, brash company. And they invested in Stefan Marbury. Stefan Marbury, if folks may not know, was a super talented point guard. He yeah. he was from New York City. He went to Georgia Tech only for a year or two, but he lived the world on fire. And he was in the NCAA tournament and won. And he was drafted the first round by the Minnesota Timberwolves. And they gave him something like a 10-year contract. I don't know what the figures was before he played a game in the NBA. Yeah. So they were all pumped. They're like, we got the next big thing. And then you saw what happened. I don't know if it was opening night or the first home game, but right shortly after he started, uh, he's wearing their sneakers. He goes up for a layup and comes down awkwardly on that ankle. And I think he fractures part of his ankle. Yeah. <laughs> and they said the agent was like shooting daggers at him. Like, I can't believe you guys. And, and they got some really negative press. I'm a, someone was like, I'm going to throw this sneaker right in the trash on live TV. <laughs> Yeah, that incident happened right after a spot aired with Stefan Marbury because he, he was really good with his crossover movement. He was known for, quote unquote, breaking ankles. And he is indicating that, you know, that's what he was going to do to people. And then he goes and he breaks his own ankle. Like, wow. <laughs> How ironic. Super ironic. Yeah. So that was a huge setback, needless to say. However, these guys didn't give up. They're like, you know, we're going to we're going to continue on around the same time. They said a few weeks after that in their office in Paoli, Pennsylvania, which I've been to several times. These interns that they had had these VHS tapes and on these tapes were streetball basketball. And they were doing these ridiculously creative moves. And I think it was Seth, Seth Berger, the founder, was like, most of that stuff's probably illegal what they're doing, like traveling and whatnot. But I couldn't take my eyes off of it. Couldn't take my eyes off of it. And uh, they're like, there's, there's a future in this. So they started getting into the streetball scene and, and they were doing these trade shows. They would go to these trade shows. Ray for Alston, AKA Skip to My Lou, I think was one of their first guys that they signed and, and kind of promote their brand. And they brought in this guy, Shane, Dri- the dribbling machine. He came from the projects in New York. And a lot of these guys, they started like, you know, doing these tours. They were making these tapes. And here's where hip hop comes into play is they hooked up with this guy named DJ Set Free. And he said, we should make a mixtape to this and give it away. And this was a lot of unreleased music that wasn't on like any albums, maybe some up and coming artists and whatnot. They would record these. They had a photographer uh, and they would record these, hand out these tapes and people just ate them up like M&M's. Yes. Just like, couldn't get enough of it. They said it was hit the streets like crack cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> you could get enough of these tapes. And then again, 
I can't emphasize enough before social media, before the internet boom, so to speak. So it's even that more impressive. Yeah. We had the volume one mixtape at Ryder. We used to watch it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it was crazy, insane. They were going crazy at the Rucker in New York. The Rucker itself is already a, an iconic venue for the summer leagues in basketball. I mean, like you have all kinds of basketball legends, professional, some not professional, have have played at the Rucker. Getting those tapes out to the masses, to like, yeah, crack to the streets. <laughs> it yeah. was like, like G Money. <laughs> showing, showing Nino like hey yo this is this is the next wave right here we need to get in on this exactly it's at the street level <laughs> yeah and we, and we reviewed above the rim with Tupac and some say that that was supposed to be Rucker street uh, tournaments yeah that was Rucker inspired yeah it was Rucker inspired yeah and yeah the, the names that you said they, they referenced in the documentary Pee Wee Kirkland uh, he's referenced in so many hip hop songs and Joe Hammond Earl Manigault and even Dr. J Julius yeah. Irving yeah. Dino Wright's favorite of all time he used to play street ball in New York yeah. um, but street ball and hip hop is like the perfect marriage because it, it kind of came up in the same fashion like an underground it was a form of expression and a lot of these folks in these urban areas you have so much talent and they don't really get that face time in the mainstream because a lot of times, unfortunately, it's not like a wealthy area. So they said that, you know, some of these folks that have so much basketball talent, they don't make Division One college, they, they don't get up to the NBA. And even the folks in the neighborhoods, they want to be entertained and they can't afford to pay the exorbitant ticket prices to go to Madison Square Garden to see the Knicks. So you saw as this grew in popularity i mean people were sitting on rooftops and they were just selling out stadiums i mean it was free to watch most of the street ball but as these guys developed this concept of you now creating these street ball tournaments these guys became celebrities and this was a form of expression shane said street ball is hip-hop graffiti breakdancing all in one and the crowd is our music that was an awesome quote which ties in what we're talking about here yep they're growing in popularity due to the mixtapes. And once that volume one came out that you referenced, Boogie, is like people were clamoring for volume two. Where's volume two? Where's volume two? They were, they, their phones were ringing off the hook and everybody kind of wanted a, a piece of it. They had a great announcer too, Duke Tango. He was, I would consider him like the ringleader and he would, he would hype up the crowds and everything like that. I love the names of these guys that they came up with. Great so I mentioned names. Skip them. Yes, great name. Skip to my Lou, Black Widow, Headache, AO, Half Man, Half Amazing. Yes. And when they take it on the road, they end up picking up Hot Sauce down Atlanta. Hot Sauce, man, his moves were off yeah. the hook. Yeah, hot, hot Sauce's handles were next level, man. And that kid was flashy. He had a personality. He was fearless. He went at those guys. <laughs> he said, oh, you guys are the best guys coming to Atlanta. Okay, I'm gonna show you what Atlanta's all about. And he went at them so hard that they were like, Yo, we got to get this guy with us. <laughs> we got to bring him along. <laughs> yeah. And he had, a, a, I guess, a rougher upbringing. He had been in jail and it, like he was a local legend. He comes out of jail and everybody's clamoring for him to play again. His moves had moves. He was that good. <laughs> like, he, would, he would dribble the ball, bounce it, like it'll be up in your face. And then he would like spin around and, and, and throw it behind you. It was just nuts. Folks all over were, were emulating the moves. There were moves called Y2K, the Boomerang, the Flintstone. 
What's ironic is you flash forward to today and you see all these flashiness and they showed us at the end of the documentary, you see a lot of NBA players doing some of these moves that these guys created. Yeah. They do it in a more legal fashion where they're not double dribbling or traveling, but the way that they uh, cut and move and, and fake yeah. people out came from here. Yeah. Very streetball inspired. Absolutely. Hot Sauce has a quote in this too. They show, I guess it was an advertisement they had made with him back in the day. And his quote was, my handle is my mic. My moves are my rhymes. This game is my life. So another tie back to hip hop. Yes. Perfect. It sounds like a, a Rakim lyric. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, is my mic exactly. These guys would then tour. Linden, New Jersey was the, kind of one of the mainstays yeah. Um, and that's not far from where Boogie grew up. Absolutely and not. yeah, that, I mean, <clears throat> hundreds upon hundreds of people would come and then they, they would be on tour bus and people, they, they'd start to get groupies kind of and et cetera. So they said, we're going to take this kind of to the next level. They, they start touring around and they were approached eventually in 2003 by ESPN to do a kind of like a reality show to find their next star. They head out to the Pacific Northwest and then work their way back. And that first stop, they picked up super fan who had already loved these guys named Grayson Boucher. That guy ends up surviving it. This little white guy with the short cropped blonde hair. And you guys may know him as the professor, but he survived all 29 cities. And he had a crazy, crazy handle and charisma as well. Yeah, professor's like, He's still one of my all-time favorites. I still follow him on social media. He's still out there crossing people over. Yes, <laughs> those come up in my Instagram. They're like, oh, he don't have it anymore. And then he ends up making him slide across the pavement. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I enjoy when that comes into my Reels feed on Instagram. Like, oh, cool, another professor video. He's just yeah, he's taking kids to school. And I tuned into all of those episodes too. So I watched his entire journey touring around with them and i was rooting for him because he was the little guy he was the underdog yeah you know? and he he stuck in there he had a lot of tenacity about him but he was humble he was humble but yeah. on the court you know he hey listen i got a mission you know and i, I enjoyed watching him play and, and earn his spot alongside those other guys there's a couple of guys that i wish they would have mentioned but the escalade was one of my favorites too this guy was huge. He was about, oh my God, I can't remember how big. He was huge. He was like another Shaq. <laughs> but he was actually Mark Jackson's brother. Oh, really? You know? oh. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, he passed away. Rest in peace to him. But yeah, he was Mark Jackson's um, actual brother. And he played in the in the M1 leagues um, for years. Super big guy, friendly guy, but he could get up. <laughs> yeah. Of course, you know, we mentioned the main event. Wally Dixon, close ties to my area. And uh, I remember when he went to Rutgers, but unfortunately, you know, due to grades not being up, up to par, he was dismissed and didn't have much going on other than, you know, playing in the Rucker. Yeah, he got snagged up by anyone as well. Shout out to the main event. <laughs> there was a whole bunch of them. I, I can go on about those guys. They, they were great. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite name is Half Man, Half Amazing, but my, fa my favorite players with the moves were Hot Sauce and The Professor. These guys just like, I could watch them on repeat for hours. Yeah. I wonder how Half Man, Half Amazing felt when they started calling Vince Carter that. Yeah. I was about to say that. <laughs> yeah. 
Is the yeah, moniker was so hot they gave it to Vince Carter. <laughs> that's another way. That's an early way that streetball got into the NBA. That's true. And Chris Hightower was the name of the promoter. He did a lot of the promotions and setting up these tours, so he gets a lot of credit as well. But they put these mixtapes out in barbershops, parks, the streetball events, etc. Mm -hmm. So to answer your question, how did it become so popular? Really, word of mouth with these, and then the tour, and it caught on. It caught on wildfire, but. As it catches on, obviously, the shoes, they end up start redesigning the shoes. Like, let's take another foray into the shoe industry because we do want to compete. And Tom works nonstop. He actually moved out to Taiwan at one point to be closer to the manufacturing facility. Mm -hmm. Tom Austin. And uh, that poor guy, he worked, he said, 364 days a year. You can see it took a toll on him physically and emotionally. As it became so popular, Nike getting a little bit scared because they're literally outselling some of their shoes and and it's so amazing that this company started from these three individuals <laughs> literally outsold nike in certain aspects so they showed a clip from a 2001 sales meeting at nike and they had a, a logo of m1 in crosshairs <laughs> mm -hmm. the thing they had at m1 is like nike was Risk averse, they said, you know, they're selling the middle of America, age 50s and, and a little bit lower and kind of the more very conservative. Whereas streetball, it's it's kind of like the, the younger urban fun. In fact, I saw Mountain Dew was on some of their promotion stuff. So they kind of get that like younger, energetic electric vibe that Nike didn't, you know, Nike is a public company. They have shareholders. They can't really go that way. But you did see it at one point, and this is the jaw-dropping moment when these, when Seth and, and crew were like, uh-oh. <laughs> they put out this streetball line of shoes and this rarely expensive commercial, and they were like, that's that's a really good spot. <laughs> Where they said they, they did, Nike did more in like that 30-second ad than and one did in like five years of all this promotion. Nike got a show on MTV, which combated with the ESPN show. Yeah, that Nike spot was was amazing. It's, yeah. That's still one of my favorite spots ever. Like, I'll, I'll just put that on and just watch it just for the heck of it. Like, I remember when that came out and I was able to save it on a flash drive. I would just plug my flash drive in and just watch it randomly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe we could put that in the show notes, the clip. Yeah, from we'll include that. People had that. That was, that was hot. And yeah, then they included a... A quote from the copywriter from the ad agency, Whedon Kennedy. Freestyle is yeah. all about hip-hop, streetball, and self-expression. So even they even copy the quote from the Dribbling Machine. <laughs> yeah, that commercial had Vince Carter in it. Kevin Garnett was in it. A few other players, but yeah, it was, it was so so catchy. <laughs> I say I almost felt bad when I saw that one come out. I was like, ooh, man, when you're in trouble, buddy. <laughs> yeah. We can't understate how big and one grew. They showed Shaq, Shaquille O'Neal, promoting it, even though he's in the NBA. They had groupies as a tour bus. They took an international tour. They're in Tokyo. They're in Paris. They're in South America. They're all over the world. They got these party buses, million-dollar buses. They're drinking, smoking, playing video games. They got women coming up into their into <laughs> they're playing PlayStation. They had the number one rated TV show for male teens on ESPN in the early 2000s. They sold out Madison Square Garden. Yeah. Um, that, they couldn't fathom that seven years prior. Yeah, I remember there was one guy came up to him with his wife and yeah. 
wanted an autograph. And they were looking like, where, where do you want us to sign at? And she like kind of pulled her shirt down so they could sign on her breast. And I'm like, and they're looking like, you know, this is your wife. Like, you, you, what? This, what? what? <laughs> Very rock star. Yeah. yeah. Very rock, rock star. star. Exactly. I remember like in the beginning too, when they were first talking about when they went out on a tour, they were in a little a crappy van, <laughs> all cramped up in there, and you know they, they you know, they were staying in, in shady motels and stuff, and then you see them on their international tour, and they're like in a Ritz Carlton. It's like what? <laughs> <laughs> From no 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 stay motels to the Ritz yeah. Carlton. <laughs> yeah. Amazing what we can do with streetball. <laughs> yeah. And one more thing that really elevated their status in cachet was the aforementioned Vince Carter. In one of the NBA slam dunk contests, he won the contest with amazing dunks and he was wearing the Tai Chi shoes, Tai Chi basketball sneakers that AM1 had put out. They're red and white, they were slick looking. And that was kind of like free promoting. They didn't pay him and he wore their shoes. So that was like, everybody wanted that shoe at the time. They couldn't keep them on the shelves. I think that's where the half man, half amazing moniker came from. Maybe because the Tai Chi's were half one color; they were half red on one side, and half white on the other. Right. I think yeah. that might have been the start of that moniker. Yeah. For him, they said something when they put out that Tai Chi shoe. It went from zero to sixty-five million in eight months. Some of them outsold Nike brands. The original sneakers that had, you know, Stefan Marbury got injured. Like they were too clunky. They were overpriced. Obviously, maybe the quality wasn't quite as good. They created these slip-on shoes called the Post Game, and then this Tai Chi shoe, which set them to new heights. So they got it down, but they're working around the clock for this. Yeah, yeah, I remember those slip-ons too. <laughs> those kind of—they looked almost like they kind of looked like the glove that Nike put out, except for they were slip-ons instead of lace-ups with the with the wrap around. They were completely slip-on. Yeah. Right. So my next question, I know we went a lot of that was all about kind of how did it rise and grow and like you just got to kind of accentuate how huge this company was and we know how impactful it was on culture it was super impactful because everybody wanted to be these guys what led to the downfall of an one anybody want to take that one hmm. just like anything else money and jealousy <laughs> money and envy <laughs> yeah i think it was that yeah, that I think the way they, the, the contracts were written as well, where they weren't necessarily sure how to handle those guys and their personalities. So when they were writing the contracts, they were kind of just arbitrarily just writing up how they're going to get paid, but there was no, they weren't handling them like they were professional athletes and employees. Yeah, they exactly. They mentioned that they probably should have treated them like employees and not like endorsed athletes. Right. At least for um, at least for compensation when they sold the company because they didn't have any stock options. They they basically got nothing when when they sold the company the first time. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, they're making a ton of money. They're selling Madison Garden. Their merchandise is selling like hotcakes. They're selling these jerseys. They even got onto uh, video games. There was PlayStation games and one mm -hmm. street ball. And in all this time, you see the players starting to feel exploited yeah. they're eating like pizza most of the time and then like chain food italian food and, and you see the staff on the other bus eating like filet mignon calamari <laughs> fancy drinks 
And then you see some jealousy that at one point someone threw a hot pizza at the tour manager, one of the players. And I think like you said, like you guys said, um, there was no true pay structure. It was kind of like one guy was signed for like 90K. One guy may have been making 60K. It was one of those like, don't ask, don't tell. We don't discuss that. And so jealousy wears his ugly head and they start to feel like maybe they're not getting paid their true, true value. But one thing that I thought that was interesting, you talk about that, like maybe they're not getting compensated appropriately, mm. but I saw Hot Sauce had a Knight Rider type car, <laughs> car that talked. And he said he had two cribs. So I wonder if he's getting some money elsewhere or maybe endorsements, I'm not sure. But either way, that the structure they had, you know, jealousy, animosity towards one another. They're starting some infighting. There was some nasty fight in the locker room before one of the events, I think. Yeah. I think some of the guys also were feeling exploited as well. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, yeah. I agree that they should have been compensated better. Yeah. Like, you know, we're sharing a part of, you know, we're sharing streetball culture with you guys and y'all are making a ton of money off of it. What about us? You know, we're the ones out there running up and down the court and sweating and putting on a show yeah we're not getting we're not getting a fair share of, of you know the compensation for our, our efforts yes the main event and shane's dribbling machine were kind of like the narrators beginning and end, and they were kind of going back and forth they're like do we feel kind of exploited they're like yeah we weren't really appreciated for what we did but then i saw some of the other clips of players like man i'm doing well i'm doing well so i think it's kind of relative maybe some yeah. of these guys like i said they came from the projects they they came from nothing to sign a ninety thousand dollar contract that's life-changing for someone like that however when you compare that to like the amount of money that these guys are raking in and i don't know the revenues i don't know how much they took in but i'm sure that the three founders made it they did well they did well they did and it's really always well. That's always how it plays out. The owners of the company yeah. make yeah. the millions and the the workers make the thousands. Exactly. Yeah. It's not like not like main event and Shane didn't make any money, but you know, they got to live a lifestyle that they could only dream of. But in the end, it's always the owners that that get the the big bucks and the, the, the workers get the medium bucks or the small bucks. Yeah. So so these guys unfortunately are not set for life they went on to do some other basketball coaching or some other small level events here and there but what they did say is that this was an opportunity to travel the world they would have never left brooklyn or yeah or one of the boroughs and now it's like i've been to tokyo i've been to paris i've been to south america i was afforded this opportunity to see the world and that was really culturally enriching for me so right. that was a benefit Another thing that obviously that led to the downfall, actually financially for the company itself, Tom was the brains of the operation and he had moved to Taiwan. He totally got burned out. And you look like he looked like he aged so much. You know, he's he was working way too much. He had, he had developed a digestive issue being burning himself out. So he was physically and emotionally drained. And he just snapped after getting a lot of calls from the other guys. And it's like, I can't do this anymore. So he leaves the company. He resigns in around 2005. Just about the time, I think, prior, there was a Sports Illustrated cover, like, documenting their, their successes. As soon as he leaves, because he was running the, the, the sneaker portion and everything and a lot of the marketing, the sales just cratered. They lost millions of dollars. And they had no choice but to sell the company before it hit rock bottom. So... 
before the 2005 tour, there was no like contracts, extensions given out, no signing. It was a major buyout to uh, American Sporting Goods. The sad thing is that the players really had no notice. I think they were called into the office and they're like, guys, it's over. Like a ship leaving at night. It's like, there goes all that glamour yeah. thing. I think that's typical of most sales like that. Like, you don't really talk yeah. about it with the rank and file. It's like that. Yeah. It, your 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 business lawyer would advise against something like that. So, what would you guys have done differently if you were one of the founders of And One? Now, knowing what you know now, like, what would you have done to kind of keep the company afloat, or maybe to make things a little more equitable for the for the athletes? I would have probably bought in a business strategist, someone who understands. I'm going to go back to school, but I, I don't. I don't have that mindset to understand how it all operates. So I would have definitely brought someone in who can, because like I said, when Tom left, you got to fill that void. <laughs> yeah. Quick, quickly. <laughs> you know, I don't know if egos got in the way and they said, oh, well, you know, we can handle it ourselves. But in a situation like that, egos got to get put aside and you just do what you got to do what's best for that company to keep it running. And also too, the whole thing with the contracts, you 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 want to do right by those at all times because it always comes back to bite you. You always start having issues when you try to cut corners, and I'm not saying they cut corners or anything, but like I'd have somebody who understands contracts, working on contracts. Like I wouldn't write the contract, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Like I mean, not saying that that's what he did, but I would I would have to get professionals, the people that know the business better than I can, to keep it running. I mean, I guess they figured, you know, we went to Wharton <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, do it ourselves. I mean, and up to a certain point you can, but a lot of times with businesses, it grows beyond your expertise and you got to bring in this you know, more people to, to help that machine run efficiently. Yeah. yeah. You know, it gets bigger than you sometimes. Yeah. You got to have to, you know, put that ego aside and say, hey, you know what? It's bigger than us. Bring in some more guys and if it's a board of directors or something, you know. Yeah. I'm not intimately familiar with their whole business history, but a startup with three guys operates much, much differently than a big company that makes a staff of hundreds and, you know, revenues in, in the hundreds of millions. But yeah. uh, scaling is a problem for all startups. And here's an example of the scaling that didn't go well. Yeah, you guys make great points. And Boogie, your point about not having that redundancy in place. I'm in the IT field, and that's one of the most critical aspects is having redundancy. You can't have that single point of failure. With Tom leaving, you're left. It's like the tide rolls in and you're standing there naked. because right. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like you can't have that with such a large company. Like You have to think about contingency plans if something like that were to happen. So that's a huge thing you need to bolster. The contracts, definitely, yeah. I mean... I think maybe they should have been insured or something. Or yeah. I, I think Seth's like, I wouldn't have treated them like a, a signed talent, but more like a corporate. I think you said that too, done it right. It's like speak an employee because then you could have maybe a stake in the company when we do sell and then you'll get at least some incremental wealth over the years. Yeah. One thing that bothered me, and if it was true, there was some disagreement whether or not it was true was you know Shane had asked for $16,000 to help his son get through school and he said that Seth had denied him and Seth 
doesn't have a recollect clear recollection of that. He's like, if it if it was, I apologize. I don't remember that clearly and things like that. I mean, you would think these guys are making millions, millions. That would have been a given. Or if you're a true employee, you have a kind of like a benefit, a tuition reimbursement type thing, or maybe you have some sort of benefit to help out the kids. When you, if they would have set themselves up in a better structure with a better business plan, like you said, maybe they would have been able to sell to a better company. Maybe they sell to. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of some somewhere they they could sell it to. I don't know, Dick's Sporting Goods, or even maybe, maybe they could have contracted with the NBA to become like an entertainment faction. Who knows? But yeah. they, they, they probably should have thought about rather than running it like a startup the entire time. Yeah, I would be curious to see what they would have, what they actually did because I can't imagine they didn't hire someone to replace him. They didn't try to replace him at all. That, that seems crazy. But yeah, I was true. curious to see what they did because you know they got there, they got to those levels. It, it wasn't an accident. Right. Would you guys consider and one a successful venture? How would you indicate success? No, I definitely would say that it was successful. It is there's a long standing impact on the culture of the basketball culture. They went global and, and they definitely achieved a level of success, you know probably far beyond what they even expected. But even with the downfall, I wouldn't count it as a total loss. I would definitely say that it was a successful venture. I mean, if you slice it financially, sure. I mean, the owners made money off selling a company, so they did yeah, that. Yeah. The, the revenues were, were were amazing. And they they brought streetball culture into the mainstream, and that you can always call that a success, I think. You see, they showed it at the end, like you said, JB, they, they showed clips of play, NBA players, modern NBA players doing those same things. Yeah, I got the, the Nets and the Bulls on right now, and I've seen Kyrie Irving do some street, some animal type moves in the game right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, this is what we're all about on this podcast is like cultural significance. So these guys were culturally significant in, in terms of um, the style of play. We just said in terms of tying basketball, even embedding it more into hip hop culture. And even said these these individuals, the talent, they did get to see the world. So like I said, even though they're not set for life, these three guys take on Nike and they have some some modicum of success. I mean, that is just an amazing story. Not many people could do that. You see this chain, I think, taking his kids out and it was like, do you know what your father was one day? So, I mean, a celebrity in a certain way life-changing you know albeit not financially for some of the players but life-changing regardless yeah they took a chunk out of nike <laughs> not, not, not many companies can say that yeah they, they had nike on the hills for a little while mm -hmm. yeah yeah they definitely did like and i remember when i was working in the new brunswick school system um they would have celebrity basketball games at the new brunswick high school and one of the main draws was the main event there definitely was a connection with somebody from the school and him to get him there. But um, yeah, he, he, would, he would show up at the, the New Brunswick High School Celebrity Basketball Games and like every now and then, whoever was available, he, he'd bring a couple of the guys along with him. And it was a huge draw. I, I remember that vividly. That was back in the early 2000s, like 2005, 2006, 2007, things like that. 
here we are in 2022. <laughs> the streets remember. Yeah, and I mentioned Kyrie Irving, and, and Kyrie Irving grew up in the same area that I grew up in. I mean, he was a couple towns over. So he definitely had knowledge of what was going on on the Linden basketball courts with AM1 and also with the Rucker. So I could totally see the influence in his game. <laughs> and like you said, um, JB, they modified the AM1 moves to be legal moves in the NBA, but they're the same moves. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not going to say that AM1 founded or invented adding hip-hop to highlights, but they certainly took it to a new level. Now, do me a favor, if, you, if there's any athlete that you like and you typed in their name and highlights in YouTube, I would say 90% of the time you're going to see it set to hip-hop. So if you're a football fan and you type in, if you're in a New York area and you type in like Saquon Barkley highlights, you're going to see several set to hip-hop because it just fits so well. If you say the same, type in Kyrie Irving highlight reel. You're going to see a set to hip hop. Uh, almost any sport, uh, you see it set to hip hop. Even even like a yeah. slower sport like a baseball, you might see it, or even golf. You know they'll speed up some of these swings from like Tiger Woods. Like it's just hip hop and and the sports highlights just they fit so well together. You'll see it going into break on Monday Night Football and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, that hip hop influence and the the way the the MCs facilitated the basketball games was so was so cool and i remember the late Stu scott you know that was my that's what drew me into watching him i was like oh this guy talks like the guys like he was real good like the stuff that he would say man it was just he yeah. brought it to espn and i looked back and i was like yeah it was the same kind of thing like how anyone did yeah i love Stuart. Stuart scott was amazing yeah 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 he and he knew his stuff he knew his hip-hop and he knew his sports and it was a perfect marriage yes it was yeah i remember he would always be like boom shakalaka and then, <laughs> that's like the nba jam thing and that's also in hip-hop lyrics you know like chief yeah. rocka from like lords of the underground and um he would just randomly say something like i represent brooklyn she was raised out in queens <laughs> and i'm like all right ll cool j doing i represent like, queens she was raised out in brooklyn <laughs> yeah <laughs> we reference like somebody on the Mets or something like that, and I'm like, oh my god, this is amazing! I, I'll be rewatching Stuart Scott doing Sports Center. I mean, because yeah. yeah, it was awesome. So that marriage is, is, is evident here. Awesome, yeah. So uh, I think we hit on all the key points here on the and one. I recommend it this highly. Um, yeah, I don't know. We don't do our ratings like a movie, but this <laughs> to me was excellent. I watched it twice now and i'm sure i'm watching it again this is one of this will be like a kind of a go-to documentary for me to go back to because I, I love uh, the story behind it and how the, the underdog took on the goliaths and and had some success yeah they did they took on the goliath and they got a, got quite a few licks in yeah <laughs> exactly yeah this was very good i, I could have watched three hours of this yeah yeah now what I want to do is I want to go back and see if there's any way to get a hold, get a hold of one of those those um, and one um, mixtapes. Yeah, because I remember we used to watch him at Ryder all the time. Mm. My, my old roommate and a bunch of us that we you know we used to play intramural basketball together or play basketball in the gym. We we'd sit around and and watch the tapes and try to do some of the moves. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, and I wasn't good at all with those moves. All I could do was dunk. 
And these are perfect if you're in college or whatever, just to put on a background and just watch in amazement of what these guys could do with a basketball. All right, so I'm looking on, I'm looking on eBay. <laughs> so uh, volume one, forty bucks was the initial bid. Is that a, Th a starting a bid of forty bucks? VHS. So the starting VHS. bid was forty bucks. Mm -hmm. So that's about. Okay, here's one great condition, rare, one hundred fifteen or best offer. Okay. Oh man! Wow. A two thousand three hot sauce jersey, two hundred fifty dollars. Wow. Is the starting bid. So yeah. A volume three sealed, five hundred bucks. How about that? <laughs> wow. Yeah. These things they were giving out free at the, they at were the barber shops and on the blacktop. Pretty amazing. That's amazing. Here you go. Volume two, three, and four. So called excellent condition. Two thousand dollars. Wow. Oh. Yeah. I remember when volume two came out. I was like, finally. <laughs> <I'm not laughs> You know what I'm thinking is there's probably very few that are unopened or in good condition because people love these. They wore them out, just like oh, yeah, real baseball cards. Yeah. yeah. Like people in, in the 50s and 60s, with these, you hear the stories about the Mickey Mantle rookie cards. And, oh, I had them in my bicycle spokes. I didn't know they'd be worth yeah. anything someday. Same type of thing. Like, yeah. yeah, this is amazing. I just watched and watched and watched it. I, mean, I didn't realize how popular it would get. Yeah. Limited print, too. Limited, limited run. Yeah. Yeah. What anyone should do is they should uh, find those files and and convert them to DVD and just sell them. People would pay for those. People would. I think they would. Yeah. Yeah, man. And they don't they don't put it on the streams or just put it out on the DVDs and just sell them. How about N NFTs of like hot sauce? There you go. NFTs. <laughs> I was going to say, good. people don't really watch DVDs much anymore. Now it's everything streaming. They should just, think, yeah. they should pay, a, have a premium to, for you to stream each volume. Yeah. Get a deal with, with one of these streaming services and, and put them out there. That would be crazy. But yeah, one step further, <laughs> NFT of, of some of these guys' moves. <laughs> like, <laughs> that'd be funny. That'd be funny if one of these um, NBA. One of these NBA All-Star weekends, they should do like reunions, bring some of these guys out and maybe show some of those clips because they were awesome. Yeah, they were. You can get some of these videos on their website, apparently, so. Oh, cool. I'll have to check it out because it's yeah. really entertaining. I'll speak of NBA. One other thing we didn't mention is um, they said when the Detroit Pistons won their second championship <laughs> and these guys are out in the club and they see Chauncey oh. Billups, the uh, MVP of the NBA Finals. And uh, they wrote, DJ, oh, look at this, Chauncey Billups. No, oh, man, you guys are the stars here. You you, you guys are here. <laughs> <laughs> they were more popular than some of the stars. And a coda to this Stefan Marbury story is that he's started his own shoe line that was yeah. lower price for, for families. And I thought that was a point of interesting. Like he started up with N1 and N wound up with the Starberry collection. Starberry. I got a pair of Starberries upstairs in my closet right now. Do you? <laughs> yeah. From back then, I, yeah, I still got a wow. pair. <laughs> hey, that was affordable way for you to get these shoes. Yeah, yeah. More like 10 bucks a pair or something like that. I saw a special on Stefan Marbury several years ago. After his NBA career, he went he he went over to China and he became a legend. Like so much so that they have like statues of him in museums of Stefan Marbury. Yes, he's like a god over there. Yeah. Yes, yes, that's awesome. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I just realized too. 
another player that I'm looking on Wikipedia right now. And there was another player. I couldn't remember his name. Spider. I was like, man, they didn't show the spider. Because <laughs> he, he would do that dunk and then he would throw his legs up and like look all, like like a like a spider hanging from a web. <laughs> <laughs> Is that where that came from? Ah. Man. Spider. Oh man. Yeah. Well, out of all these players, they said the only one that spent some time in the NBA was Skip to my little Skip, yeah. Right. Ray, Ray for Alston. Alston. I remember Ray for Alston. Yes, Skip. Yeah, he was the only one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He played for the Rockets. And I think he played for Raptors too. Else. I think they showed a clip of him on the Miami Heat. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Ray for, Ray for Alston. Yep. Oh, Skip. <laughs> I didn't realize this. Lance Stevenson had an um, endorsement deal with AM1. Did he really? Oh. Yeah. Oh. I didn't even realize that. <laughs> but no, this was definitely a good one. Yeah. I'm glad we did this one. Yeah, this good like call, JD. It's a rabbit hole that could go down now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's easy to access. Some of the stuff that we put out a little bit tougher to find on the streaming services where they, you know, maybe cost prohibitive but i think a lot of people have netflix and this is around netflix <laughs> the irony of this too kevin garnett used to wear used to wear and ones oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah they said they were trying to recruit like the trust Sprewell, kevin garnett jamal crawford <laughs> like wow i enjoyed this one i really, really enjoyed this one yeah me too this was really fun. <laughs> I walked down memory lane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, two things that I really enjoy is you know, hip hop and basketball. <laughs> the perfect union. <laughs> Bring it. Bring it. Season four of the Hip Hop Movie Club podcast starts next week. Your HHMCs will be starting a new season featuring crime dramas as we break down the classic Poison the Hood. Starring Ice Cube, Cuba Gooding Jr., Morris Chestnut, and Lawrence Fishburne. Join in the fun and watch Boys in the Hood before this episode drops. We found it on Stars, Hulu, or Google Play. Subscribe wherever you get podcasts, and you won't miss this jam-packed episode. Shout out to you listeners. Thanks for tuning in to this bonus episode of Hip Hop Movie Club. Hip Hop Movie Club is produced by your HHMCs, JB, Boogie, and Dino Wright. All music in this episode is by Boogie. Special thanks as always to Susan, Tawanda, and Alice. We're on TikTok. Hit us up at Hip Hop Movie Club. Shout out to you listeners. Thanks for listening. <laughs>